Last week, we looked at how and why to choose your ideal customer. And I said that the ideal customer or your ideal customer or my ideal customer could be defined as the person, as the business, as the entity for whom you do your best work. Now, if you listen to last week's episode, episode 72, uh, great. If not, why not go back and listen to it? Because there's lots in there. We covered what is stopping you from choosing an ideal customer. We looked at 10 reasons to choose your ideal customer and some practical steps to choose your ideal customer, how to do it, in other words. And today, now that we've defined whom your ideal customer is, we're going to look at how to attract what we call high-paying clients. This is episode 74 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. It's my privilege to be here again for you this week. This is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants, just like you and I all around the world, wherever you happen to be today, on a train, on a plane, in the car, in the gym. It's a pleasure to have you here again. If this is your first time here, welcome. And if it's not your first time here, welcome back. The goal is, as you know by now, the same every week. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. There's an episode every single Thursday, and you, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and of course, there are a range of other podcast platforms out there. Whichever one it is for you, I would encourage you to subscribe to the show so we can notify you of updates and upcoming episodes. Now, before the music, I mentioned last week's episode, which was episode 73, the title of which was how to identify your ideal customer. So this week or today, we're going to look at how to attract your ideal customer. And we said once again that the ideal customer for your training business is the person, the business or entity for whom you could say you do your best work. Now, naturally, you want high paying clients. So when I suggest high paying clients, there's also a correlation between attracting your ideal customer. Keep in mind that when I think of what I do in terms of the satisfaction I derive from training and coaching, it's fair to say that there are times I would literally do what I love to do for free. Now, I don't do that, but this is a philosophical point. There are other forms of reward besides monetary. So if you derive satisfaction from a range of other aspects of training and coaching, you could also consider yourself highly paid or highly paid in the sense that you you feel great gratitude for the kind of pleasure that you get from helping people to be the best they can be. And that's quite true for me. Now, naturally, you want high-paying clients. You want people who are going to pay the kinds of prices that reward you for the quality of work you do. So let's say that today, for argument's sake, when I say high-paying clients, I'm actually talking about people who are going to reach into their wallets and pay high prices for your best work. Okay, let's agree on that. So let's look at the series of topics we'll cover today. I'll list them first of all, and then we'll go into them one by one. The first one is to increase your prices. The second one is to believe you are worth it. Number three is to solve expensive problems. Number four is to qualify out and qualify in. 
And number five is to refine your message. They're the four, sorry, five things we'll go through today. Okay, one more time. One, increase your prices. It's fairly obvious. Maybe not. Number two, believe you're worth it. Number three, solve expensive problems. Uh, number four, qualify out and qualify in. And finally, number five, refine your message. So, first of all, let's look at increase your prices. Now, people have a strange relationship with price. People feel reassured when something is reassuringly expensive, when something is reassuringly expensive, because price sends out signals. When you know nothing else about the product, your mind is using the price of the product or service to make decisions. Low price suggests not as good as others. Average price suggests same as others. Higher price suggests better than others. Do you agree with that? So a low price suggests not as good as others. Average price suggests same as others. If your prices are the same as others, why would I not choose the other? What's different about you? Higher price suggests better than others. Let's take a very simple example. Let's suppose that a t-shirt you're thinking of buying costs $5 and another t-shirt, which looks the same, it might have a different label, different packaging, but it certainly has a different price tag and the price is $45. So t-shirt one is $5 and t-shirt two is $45. Your brain believes or wants to believe that $45, that price tag, the higher price tag, is indicative of higher quality. Now, you and I know that's not always the case. There are many brands out there, we call them premium brands. There is substantially or substantively, substantively, no difference between T-shirt 1 and T-shirt 2, apart from the branding and the kind of image that that has, the kind of aura or mystique it has, because particular brands are based on nothing else other than some kind of hard-to-touch, hard-to-explain, intangible appeal. So this is not always the case, but when people pay higher prices for things, they're usually reassured that they've made the right decision. People feel reassured when training and coaching costs $4,000 rather than $400. I've seen this many times. Numerous trainers tell me that higher prices attract a better kind of customer. They are less likely to haggle or dispute your prices. They're less likely to complain and demand changes or compromises. And you might actually think it's the other way around, that having higher prices attracts a difficult or perhaps more argumentative or demanding customer. But in fact, in my experience and in the experience of trainers I've spoken to before this episode, they confirm that it's actually the other way around. When you increase your prices, you're actually increasing the perceived value of your products and services. And this attracts people who value value, not price. Now, remember this, no one is going to give you permission to increase your prices. So, the lesson is, increase your prices. Number two today, believe you're worth it. I will tell you what I think stops most trainers and consultants from raising their prices, and it's that they don't think they're worth it. I had a conversation with a German consultant, Gert, let's call him Gert, from Hamburg in Germany, a couple of years ago. And at the table, Gert told me that he charges, or charged back then, 5000 euros for half a day. Now, I was surprised, not by the number, but by my reaction to that number. First of all, I was pleased for him. Then I was in awe of him, really, you know, 
actually my estimation of him shot up. I actually thought, my goodness, this guy must be really important if he can charge that kind of money and get it. Next, I was jealous of him. And I thought, why don't I charge or why can't I charge that kind of number? And interestingly, my brain shot back immediately with an answer. And the answer was this, because my training is not worth it. Now, I don't charge 5,000 euros per half day because the problems I fix cannot be fixed in half a day. His can, but that's not the point. I had asked myself the the wrong question. I'd asked myself, why can't I charge that kind of number? The right question actually should have been, who is willing to pay 5,000 euros per half day or whatever is the price that you wish to charge? Who is willing to pay the price I wish to charge? That's the right question. The truth is that most of us, depending on where you are listening to this podcast episode, most of us live in a market-centric economy, which means the market sets the prices. There is a market for low-priced, low-quality, and there is a market for high-priced, high-quality. People who charge high prices believe that there is a market for their high-priced, high-quality services, and then they go and find these people. Their success is proof that they are right. So to charge high prices, you have to believe you are worth it and then find clients who agree you are worth it. The key point here is believe you are worth it. Number three today, solve expensive problems. Now, in last week's episode, we went through an exercise, if you recall, um, who, what, why, when, where, how. Who or whom do I help? Where, where do they, my prospective clients, my ideal clients, my high-paying clients, where do they operate? Which market, which jurisdiction, uh, which vertical or industry? What is, what do they need help with specifically? And why, why do they need my help? In other words, what do they need help with? But why, what is the reason, what is the pain point which underlines why they need my help? And then when is, when do they need this help? Which which particular cadence or frequency, regularity? And lastly, how do I know if they're right for me? So a couple of questions again for you to ask yourself from last week's episode. Who, what, why, when, where, how? Who, whom do I help? Where, where do they operate? What, what do they need help with? Why, why do they need my help specifically? When, when do they need help? And how, how do I know if they're right for me? So that's an exercise I recommended that you follow last week. And you can do this if you've not yet listened to that episode. I suggest you go back and do that. But look, keep things simple here. Let's take Gert or Gert as an example, the guy from Germany I mentioned a few moments ago. So let's use that uh, person as a kind of role model to answer these questions. Who? Gert, Gert's who is CFOs. Gert in Germany, helps CFOs, chief financial officers of businesses with a turnover of $200 million. He doesn't help VPs of marketing or heads of customer service or senior managers. Gert is very specific. He helps CFOs of businesses with a minimum turnover of $200 million. That's his who answer. The next question is what? What do they need help with? And Gert's answer is, He helps CFOs who need help with strategic financial planning. Very specific. That's his 
Answer to what? The why question is why do they need Gerd's help specifically? And the answer is Gerd has a track record of training CFOs to save millions of dollars across their organization using his unique system. That's his answer to the why question. The when question is when do they need help? And Gert's answer is one, maybe twice per year, typically around the planning time. Um, and the how answer is how he knows they're right for him. And that's what he calls his scorecard. And we'll come to that in a moment. So just think about that. That is a very simple exercise. If you want to solve expensive problems, you've got to be very specific about who has those problems, who owns those problems, why they need your help with those problems, how they need your help with those problems, when and where they need help with those problems. So let's let's dig into this further. Gert doesn't just charge 5,000 euros for any old training. Gert says to me, he only works with C-suite people. C-suite meaning people at the chief executive officer, chief financial officer, in his case, level. Now, it helps that Gert used to be a CFO himself. And that's what we call Gert's unfair advantage. He is actually seen by people across the table as someone just like, like them. And that, of course, counts for a lot. The next thing is Gert uses or qualifies each CFO using what he calls a scorecard. Gert could sell his training to small businesses, to CFOs and small businesses, but they might not be able to afford him. Gert targets organizations with expensive problems he can solve. And by solving expensive problems, Gert attracts other high-paying clients who have the same expensive problems. So the lesson here is, if you want to attract higher-paying clients, you must be very clear about whom you're helping where they operate, what they need help with, why they need help from you, so you can prove that you can solve their expensive problems. Key point, solve expensive problems. Okay, number four today, qualify out and qualify in. Once more, I'll, I'll explain or allude to last week's episode 73, and I guided you through another exercise where I asked you to take a piece of paper, draw a box, and divide that box into four boxes. So bear with me now while I kind of paint this in your imagination wherever you are as you're listening to this. Imagine there's a box in front of you, and in that there are four other boxes, top left, top right, bottom left, and bottom right. I explained this last week, but let's do this one more time. So top left box is where you list clients as follows. These are clients who believe that you are right for them, but you know they are not right for you. Okay? These are clients who believe you are right for them, but you know they are not right for you. So let's call this box one. The kinds of clients or organizations or people you would list in here are the kinds of clients or organizations or people who would be happy with the generalist. The consequence is people in box one will pay low prices because they're happy with a generalist. You're a commodity, easily replaceable. They will pay low prices. Box two, top right. These are clients, organizations, and people whom, who believe that you are right for them and you know they are right for you. There's a match. They believe you are right for them and you know they are right for you. And in this box, you will list organizations, people, clients who want expertise have expensive problems, 
and have the willingness to pay your high prices. Perfect match. Okay? Now, let's go down a step. Box three, bottom left-hand side. These are, or rather, this is the box where you list companies, people, organizations who believe that you are not right for them, but you know that they are right for you. And why is there a gap here? Well, because sometimes they're not aware of the kinds of products or services you have, or they don't yet believe that you are eligible to solve those kinds of problems. You know they are, but you've got to somehow educate them. They don't know perhaps that you can actually solve their problems. The consequence is until they believe that you will solve their expensive problems, they will pay low prices. Okay. Finally, box four, bottom right. This is where you list organizations, people, entities, where they believe they are not right for you and you know they are not right for you. So there's no match at all because you've no knowledge, you've no fit, you've no credibility in this area, in this industry, you've no testimonials, you've no expertise. And the consequence is that they will pay low prices. So if you've been listening and if I've explained this properly, it's hard to perhaps uh, via audio, via podcast, But if you drew this out on paper, you'll realize the only people who will pay the prices that you want to charge, if they're high prices, are the people in box two, top right. And these are people who believe you are right for them and you know they are right for you. So many trainers inadvertently accept work which is not from people who are right for them. And they work in boxes where the clients could be box one, box three, box four. And the result, of course, is low prices. So what does this tell us? To ensure you are attracting people in the right box, which is box two, you have to ensure that they believe, know, understand, appreciate that you are right for them and you know, believe and can prove that they are right for you. In other words, you need a system to screen out clients who do not belong in your box too. Think of this like an eligibility test. I'm not going to go along to a garage and say, I want a car. I will be very specific. I want a car, this make, this model, this number of miles. If I'm buying it secondhand, I always buy my car secondhand. I'll say, I want a car this color. In other words, I am screening out this car type, this car type, this car price, this car length, this car size. I'm very clear about what is eligible for me as the person buying. So this is what Gert means by his scorecard. Gert has a scorecard where he says, I want people to pass my test, my eligibility test. So here are a couple of suggestions to help you build your own eligibility test. And there are seven kind of parts to this. The first thing is where you say, you know what, to be clear on the kinds of people who are right for me, I want to be very specific about one, the industry sector. Number two, the business type. Number three, the business area. Number four, the minimum turnover of that prospective client. Number five, the minimum project volume. Number six, the minimum project duration. And number seven, the minimum project budget. So one more time, the industry sector, number one. Number two, the business type. Number three, the business area. Number four, the minimum turnover. Number five, minimum project volume. Number six, minimum project duration. And number seven, minimum project budget. So that's an example of a scorecard where you are saying, I have a list of things or criteria by which I will qualify out prospects 
unless they meet my specific criteria. And if they match, these are the people for my training business. So industry sector might mean I want to work with people in banking or professional services or IT or government or manufacturing. Secondly, business type. Business type is where you would say, I want to work with organizations which are privately owned or publicly traded or public sector or non-profit. Number three is business area. You might say, I want to work with specifically people and departments in sales or marketing or customer service or IT or leadership or legal, etc., etc. This is very niche where you're saying, based upon my experience, my unfair advantage, my qualifications, my experience, my expertise, I am right for sales and sales is right for me. I am right for marketing or marketing is right for me. That's the business area. Number four, or the fourth criteria on your criterion on your list or scorecard, might be that you say, I will work with organizations with a minimum turnover, maybe 5 million or 50 million or 250 million. I'll work with blue chip companies, for example, with a minimum value of this. Criteria number five, you might say, I'll work with a organizations with a minimum project volume, not, not you know, training two people or four people, but I will only work with organizations that have a training contract involving minimum 50 people or 100 people or 150 people or 500 people. It's up to you if you can handle that kind of volume. Criteria number six might be that you say, I will work with uh, or on contracts with a minimum project duration of minimum five weeks or minimum five months or 12 months or 24 months. It's up to you again, based upon your resources and the kind of work you do. And number seven today, you might say, well, I will only work with organizations with a minimum project budget of 20K or 50K or 150K. Does that make sense? So what you're doing here is you're saying, I am very clear on what box two means for me. I am right for them and they are right for me. And I'm going to screen out using a scorecard people who are not eligible for my business uh, because I'm going to score them based upon industry sector, business type, business area, minimum turnover, minimum project volume, minimum project duration, minimum project budget. Now, you might be thinking, well, gosh, that sounds like lots of work here. Well, it actually is. But when you're clear and you've got clarity, I think you're going to find a couple of things. You're going to be quite relieved that you have found the ideal customer for you. It does not mean that you start saying no to everyone that does not fit this. This might be something you do step by step by step until such time as you have a series of past customers in this sweet spot, meet, meeting those seven steps or whatever steps you come up with yourself. And then you will have confidence that you have a track record which you can use to attract high-paying clients just like them. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's the fourth thing today. The fifth thing, to, thing today, let's call that refining your message. So now that you're clear on who your box two clients are and what the eligibility factors are for you, your scorecard, I listed seven factors there. You could have six, four, or three, or more, eight, or nine. What you want to do next is you want to make it clear via your marketing, via your networking, via everything online and offline that you work with people in this category. Now, if you want to attract high value clients and you're wondering 
why you're attracting low-paying clients, you might want to reflect on your message. Perhaps you are mentally clear on the people that you want to attract following this exercise with me today. But for some reason, you keep on attracting people in box one, three, and four. And why? Why is that? Well, so much of what we get back is a reflection of what we send out. So the questions I would ask you is, does your website look low value in appearance? Do you sound via perhaps your elevator pitch, your marketing material, your presentations? Do you sound like you'll work with anyone with a pulse? (laughs) Or are you communicating, hey, I deliver only this kind of thing for these kinds of people? So are you communicating, hey, I deliver training, here's my number? Or are you communicating, I work with these kinds of organizations, solving these kinds of problems? Here's the proof. Apply to work with me today. That's a whole different message, isn't it? Not, am I good enough for you? Instead, I'm actually saying, are you good enough to work with me? That is a complete pivot. You're not just grateful for anything that comes in, which results in you falling into boxes one, three, and four with low-paying clients. Instead, you're very clear on whom you are best serving because this is the best work you do, earning the highest possible reward. And on this basis, your material, the words out of your mouth, your presentation, your elevator pitch, your business card, everything about you communicates that I will work with these kinds of people, apply to work with me. So you might want to change your business card and other materials to communicate this new decision. Now, if you're thinking I don't know, this is uncomfortable, this is perhaps um, something I'm not yet ready to do, you might be thinking, but won't that mean saying no to other people? And my answer to you is absolutely. But this is your decision. You know, I'm a training business coach. I'm not saying to you, you have to do it this way. It's your decision. It's your training business. But if you are communicating a that you want a high-paying client, but yet you're still saying yes to low-value work, that makes no sense. You are still hanging around box one, three, and four. Instead, you must refine your message to attract only box two clients because that's where your highest paying clients are. Okay? So today, we've covered a couple of things. Quick retrospective. We looked at, number one, increasing your prices. Why? Number two, the importance of believing you're worth it, increasing your prices, just like Gert from Hamburg, who charges 5,000 euros for half a day. Number three, solving expensive problems, being very clear about your who, what, why, when, where, and how. Number five or four, if I can count properly, qualify out and qualify in. The importance of having a scorecard, a couple of criteria I've given you, industry sector, business type, business area, minimum turnover, minimum project value, minimum project duration, minimum project budget, and so on. You can add to those or tweak those, make them your own. And lastly today, the importance of refining your message. If you are clear from steps one to four, but you're still attracting low-paying clients, you might want to look at the message, what you're communicating out, because that's what you're getting back in terms of the kinds of clients that turn up on your doorstep and come to your website and ask for business from you. Okay, so five things today, as promised. My final thought today is this. High-paying clients may mean one thing to you and something else to someone else. High-paying is usually taken to mean monetary value. So in other words, um, getting 5,000 euros a a day 
rather than 500 euros a day. But here's this, and forgive me for sounding philosophical, but this is my view. High paying may also mean job satisfaction. Now, I've worked on high paying projects in terms of monetary value where I was very well paid, but I did not like the people, the business, the country, the work, uh, the location. So my question to you is this, is it really worth your precious time on this round object in space spending irreplaceable time, earning lots of money, but at the cost of doing work you dislike or work which is incompatible with your best efforts. So for that reason, I'm going to suggest that you think of this in a philosophical way today. Um, I did say a couple of times today and last week that your ideal client is the individual, the entity, the organization, the business, for whom you earn the highest possible reward. But thinking back on my training business career to date, I can say that working with my best clients pays me in ways above and beyond money. It could be travel, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional. If you can attract clients who are hiring or high paying in those ways, I would say you have hit the jackpot, my friend. Okay, that's my final thought today. We've covered quite a bit today. So that's all about how to attract high paying clients. Lots to think about, and I've given you some homework to do as well. So my sincere thanks to you for tuning in again this week. Thanks for all your support. Thanks for your continued suggestions about the kinds of questions for me to answer on the podcast. And thanks for your, yeah, thanks for your interest. I'd love you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts because, of course, this helps us to promote the show to people just like you and I out there. And it also in a secondary sense, helps us to attract the right kinds of guests to help you with your training business. We've had wonderful guests in 2019 and so far in 2020, and we have a couple of really big names coming up this year on the show, and I'll announce those nearer the time. You can check out the podcast, of course, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, you can join us on social. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook and Instagram. So why not check us out there and to join the conversation? We'd love you to do that as well. So any comments you have, any suggestions for future episodes, future guests, I would love to hear from you. Until next Thursday, have a great training business week. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.